Today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. <clears throat> Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you remember, we are, for those who were here last week, we are continuing on in a three-part sub-series of the larger kind of series through the book of 1 Peter. And so we're at this place where we're talking about what it means for us to live beautifully in the gospel life. So last week, you'll recall, we talked about living beautifully as a resident of this world, what it means for us to live the gospel life beautifully as those who are called by God, who are both heirs and exiles, to be in this world and the authorities that are above us, how we are to submit and what submission means. So as a reminder to you about what submit means, it means this. Submitting is more about us aligning ourselves underneath the order that is above us. It is not about a strong man or a strong government or a strong person pushing down upon us and causing us to submit. It is more about how we align ourselves underneath the rule that is established. If you remember last week, I said it is more about, it is less about the power of the person above us and more about our response to that person. That's what submission actually means. And you'll see here today, we're talking again about that idea of being subject, of in submission. So it's good for us to set in our minds that identity, that idea that is really less about the power that be and more about my response to that power and what that looks like. You know, in the last two weeks, Parliament has introduced again the modern slavery bill of 2018. Now, some of you, that might sound a little shocking. It might seem like, why, why do we need to have a modern slavery bill? What are we looking at? I mean, most countries have already outlawed it. As a matter of fact, the UN banned it in 1926 and then again in 1953. But according to the Australian Human Rights Law Center, there are still about 25 million slaves worldwide. As a matter of fact, there's about 4,300 by estimate 
in, in Australia alone. Modern slavery can be identified this way. It is extreme labor rights abuses that include slavery, servitude, human traffic, trafficking, or forced or compulsory labor. The United Nations in 1926, when they were defining and banning slavery, they said it is the status or condition of a person over whom any and all of the powers attaching to its right ownership are exercised. So it's saying a person is a slave when somebody around them, all of their powers, everything about their person is pushed down or is attached by ownership of somebody else. Maybe a good way for us to think of it, and particularly when we're talking about 4,300 slaves in Australia, is the idea of forced labor. Forced labor is all work or service which is exacted from any person under the threat of a penalty or for which a person has not offered him or herself voluntarily. What that means is there might be someone who comes here on a work visa and they start doing some migrant work. And they begin to do that migrant work and somebody takes their passport and holds it for them for safekeeping. And they hold it and then when their six months are up and it's time for them to move on, they say, oh, you can't have your passport back until you work another three months for me. Or you can't have your passport back until you work another six months for me. And automatically that person is trapped because most often they don't speak English well. They don't understand that there's an ombudsman that they can go talk to about fair labor. They don't realize the rules that are established within Australia to protect them as a worker. And so they think they're stuck and they have to stay there. And in all practical purposes, they are. And at that moment, they've transitioned from a guest worker to a slave. Do you know, two years ago in Queensland, there were three migrant workers that died because of slavery in Australia itself. Now, it's hard for us to think through that and go, that can't possibly be happening in the world today. There's no reason for that to be happening in the world today. But in fact, what we're seeing in this passage is a conversation, not just about slavery, but what it means to be powerless. What it means for people to be powerless. Now, if you go back and you listen to the podcast of our sermon last week, you'll hear in my introduction that I say, this week we'll be talking about what it means to live beautifully the gospel life in the workplace. But as I begin to read this scripture and begin to look at what slavery actually means, and by God's grace, listen to the ABC radio network while I was driving someone, my son someplace and heard a story about modern slavery in Australia, I realized that actually we shouldn't take this idea of slavery and equate it in some form or fashion to our workplace. Now granted, sometimes we feel like we're working like slaves. In our minds, we think to ourselves, I'm just really putting it in. And nobody respects me, and everybody's against me. But for the majority of us, for most of us in our lives, we will never experience the powerlessness and the oppression that comes in slavery in the past and modern-day slavery. Now, the amazing thing that's happening in this passage is Peter's talking. 
is there are masters and slaves present in this gathering together. That God in his redemptive pursuit has brought both of them into the same space. And throughout all of Scripture, what we see is God bringing people together and saying the identity that you hold is not your true identity. Your truth identity is that of my child. And it supersedes anything else. Interestingly enough, Paul in Romans talks about if you can, move away from slavery. But if you can't, live in honor. So what I think we need to look at today in this passage is what does it really mean to live beautifully the gospel life as people without power? And we all know people who are without power. Those who do not have the ability to speak for themselves. Those who do not have a voice in current circumstances and situations in their life. It could be broad, macro, as we look at the refugee crisis that is all over the world and affects us all, even here in Australia. Or it could be as small and micro in your own family where you have a, a child who is in a relationship that's abusive and they feel powerless within it. What we see Paul talking, or Peter talking about here when he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do good or gentle, but also to the unjust. He's saying that it doesn't matter how your masters are acting, you must work to do good for them. For this is a gracious thing, mindful of God. So people without power, and we talked about this last week, have to recognize that in some form, us aligning ourselves underneath that power that is present, and those of us recognizing that it's less about their power and more about my response to it, is a place where I have to walk in step where how can my submission or being subject be a blessing to them? What does it look like for me to step into a place of blessing for them. Now, sometimes blessing is shouting loud enough and being uh, raucous enough that they see the injustice that is taking place. Because to leave somebody in a place where they think their right gives them the right to oppress somebody is to leave them on a path of destruction. And so a blessing is to point out, to say loud enough, the path you're on is a path of destruction. I want to call you to recognize injustice. And so they do that humbly. In that. We've watched that happen over and over again. From Martin Luther King Jr. in the States. We watch that happen with men and women on Manus Island as they have been gentle in their approach to say, this is what's going on. This is where injustice is. They're calling out to say, don't follow a path of destruction. But at the same time, they're not rushing and fighting it's interesting to me that we have to think about Peter 
who's writing this. Peter, who's writing this, who was powerless when the Roman guards came up on Gethsemane. Powerless and a Jew, really, in bondage to an overpowering Roman Empire who comes in. Peter, who says, submit, be subject. Who, as soon as the guards came up, pulled out a sword and cut off a servant's ear. Violence begets violence. And so one way that those who are submitting not only to their masters or to those who are the ones who are in power is for us to step into that place with kindness and nonviolence, pursuing them in love, wanting their hearts to be moved. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was in prison wrote this. I'm still discovering right up to this moment that it is only by living completely in this world that one learns to have faith. By this worldliness, I mean living unreservedly in life's duties, problems, successes, and failures, experiences, and perplexities. In doing so, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God taking seriously not only our suffering, but those of God in the world, watching with Christ in Gethsemane. That's what Peter says here as well. He says, look, it's not for your credit if you get beat for doing something unjust, and it's for your credit if you do for doing just things. But when you do good and suffer, it is to, for you to do, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this is who you have been called to be. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. What did he do? He came and he served. So when we think about people without power. The first thing that we need to recognize is that they need to see their submission as one of blessing, which is calling back people in love to righteousness. But the reality for most of us is we've never lived without power. The reality is that for most of us here, while we do have trials and tribulations, and while there is times when it seems like the world is against us, or at least some government agency is against us, most of us have never lived in a place where we've been a slave or powerless. So then what does it mean for us to live the beautiful gospel life as people who have power. Interestingly enough, it's the same posture. What we recognize about this passage, this gospel passage, is it lets us know that those with power step into the place of the powerless. That those who possess power are to be those who come down into the arena of the powerless. 
that our job is to come alongside those who are powerless. Our job is to identify with those who are powerless. Even more so, our job is to become the powerless in order to bring glory and honor to God and have the beautiful gospel life lived. Listen again to what Peter says. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Look, Moltman says, the idols of power and of success do not help a person. It is only a suffering God who can help us. We see this as the story of Jesus being the very image of God in the world. All that God is shining brightly his relentless pursuit of love to bring us in to whole relationship with him and with ourselves and with all other and with place. And he does it by identifying not with the strong, but with the weak. Not with those who are free, but with those who are in slavery. He does it by becoming a human and saying, if you are a follower of me, you step into that as well. So as people who are people who have power, we live the beautiful gospel life by stepping in and proclaiming justice where justice needs to be proclaimed. By bringing love to the places where there are unloved. By bringing mercy to the places where there is not mercy. We do that by stepping in in actions and in words, by gathering up and holding close, by seeking out and bringing in. We can't sit on the sidelines and praise Jesus with our voices and do absolutely nothing with our hands. It's not because that's what saves us. It's because we're already saved. Jesus is our example, it says. So as people who have power to live the beautiful gospel life, it requires actions on our point. There are those in your life today who are in bondage. And you are present in their life by God's mercy and grace to bring them freedom. It might be bad relationships. It might be addictions. It might be financial stress. It might be poor jobs. It could be any of those things. And then broadly speaking, in the world, we know that there are people oppressed and in slavery all over. And it is up to us to speak loudly and proclaim justice, to step into the places where we can work, where we can say, how does this change? What do we need to do? Are there policies that need to change? More than that, are there houses that need to be opened? More than that, are there places where we need to go to bring freedom and light and truth? The interesting thing about this is it's not about us. It's about the example of Jesus. Peter here is quoting and alluding to Isaiah 52 and 53. 
I want to start in verse 7 of 53. He says, He was oppressed, speaking of Jesus, and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoils of the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors. He has bore the sin of many to make an intercession for the transgressors. Look, as people who are in power, when we return to whole truth relationship with God, ourselves, all others, and place, we no longer count our curtain, curtains, current circumstances or labels as paramount in our lives. They are secondary at best. We count the fact that we're in Christ being number one. And if we are in Christ, then we are part of that relentless loving pursuit. Always. Here's the beauty of this. You are without power. As was I. And still am. You see, we all have been slaves. We all have the corruption of the world. We all are enslaved to sin. But it is Christ who comes down into that place of slavery and brings freedom. He came to set the captive free. He came to bring us in his throne room. He came. We are following him as if we are riding on his coattail, Psalm says, into glory. And not just glory of, oh, but glory as in God breaking in and completely changing our lives and circumstances, even though visually it might not look like it's happened, even though visually it might feel like it's not happened. In fact, the truth is, is that you once were a slave, but now you are free because the work that Jesus has done. And so never think that since you've been free, you must now pursue power because the beautiful life is lived outside. It's when we begin to think, well, now that we're saved, we need to rule. Now that we're saved, we need to take over. That we begin to what? Oppress. Divide. Separate. But it's when we walk in the beautiful life of the gospel, and how we do that is recognizing that we've always been and always will be without power. Because the only one who has due power is God. And in him, he said, power is not what I need. I need you. And so he gave up his power to come in the form of a servant in Jesus Christ to save us. 
so, we are no longer in bondage. So hear me. If you are in bondage today to something that's holding on to you, today, now, is the hour to stop believing you're in bondage. Let the Holy Spirit remind you and tell you that you are free. And be challenged within your own hearts, O people of God, who recognize your freedom to say, I cannot let anyone else be oppressed. I must step into those places. I must work for those. Not in some worldly identity of what freedom is, but knowing that true freedom only Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have set us free. Father, we pray for those who are enslaved right now. We know that there are many, that they are being held up, that they are being pushed down, that they are having their freedoms kept from them. We pray that you will be about the business of releasing them on this earth, not just from their sin. We pray that paramount we pray that most of all but that you will also release them from the physical bondage that they have that you will bring them into a life that is a life that is not powerless but is one of rest because our pursuit father is not to be powerful it is to be resting in your power father let these words be your words if they're not let them burn up and and fly away But if they are your words, Lord, please let them take root in our hearts and bear good fruit for you. It's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Can you please sing?